0: So, last night we discussed Krishna's slaying of Vatsasura and Bhakasura, and previous to that we discussed the slaying of Trinavartha, shakatasura and Putana, all of whom were sent by Kamsa. Who, by this time, is quite sure that Krishna is the problem in his life and um, whom he will ultimately whom he has to contend with and he's trying to contend with him indirectly by sending his various agents and so, in the course of discussing these the slaying of these different demons we've we've heard also that Krishna would, took, made his appearance he was transferred to Gokul, cool. there in Gokul. Cool. There were signs resulting from these activities of these demons, uh, inauspicious signs that ultimately gave rise to the idea that the cowherds would move and find greener grasses. So they came across the Jamuna with their wagons and cows and calves and belongings and so forth and settled in Vrindavan near Govardhan. But We didn't say it last night, but but it's it's worth mentioning that while there's a higher side to their moving, and we can appreciate that, and we talked about it to some extent, how we should be ready to move and uh, a little detached to succeed in bhakti. We have invited Krishna into our life and where he will take us, we don't know. (laughs) But we should go wherever he draws us, because that will be in our interest at the same time the lower side might be worth considering and the idea that again that there are greener grasses and usually that turns out not to be the case sometimes it may be and so it may be worth adjusting our circumstances and so forth and changing our situation but if we're perpetually involved in that then it usually indicates a problem that we're not addressing at home and those problems will follow us wherever we go. So, the lower side we can draw from this is that they moved to get away from inauspiciousness, but inauspiciousness followed them to the other side of the river, even though the Leela is all auspicious and we can look at it like that. For the sake of our own progress and uh, putting some emphasis on where we're at and what we need to do to progress, it's worth thinking of like this as well. Again. Your mind follows you wherever you go. So that's what you have to deal with. You can change the scenery, change the furniture, change the surroundings. That may be helpful to harness the mind, but it may be an excuse for not dealing with the issues at hand. So Krishna consciousness is about that. It's about arresting the mind and dealing with the problems. It's about dealing with the ultimate problem, death, bringing it to the foreground, rather than putting it in the background, ignoring it. And then all that goes with it. And that means that attachment. Death is about attachment. Death is a problem because of our attachment. So, we should deal with them now as much as possible in a balanced and thoughtful way. In a way that they will ultimately be retired. So, at any anyway, rate, Krishna and, and the whole group, the Vajbhasis, they came, led by their king, gracious king Nandamarsh to Vrindavan, set up their, their residence there, and Still, Vatsasura came and Bakasura came. And now Krishna is in the Seish Kumar, the end part of his of his Kumar Lila. So as we heard last night he had been initiated as a calf herder. And many other boys of the same age took advantage of the ceremony and their parents brought them and put them in. They were all initiated. So Krishna has many, many friends now, young friends. He and Balaram. And they are just about to pass from Kumar into Pogondin, from childhood into youth, where this calf herding becomes cow herding. He will be initiated as a cow herder. But before that, at the very end of his Kumar Lila, after killing Vatsasur and Bakasur, another uh, demon appeared in the brudge sent by the envious King Kangsa. And he came on a day in which Krishna woke with special inspiration. Normal course of the day is that Krishna will be resting and Balaram will come into the courtyard having gotten up early and blow his buffalo horn and millions of cowherds will, billions of cowherds will assemble and call out to Krishna, "Uta, Krishna, Get up! Get up! And when he doesn't get up, his intimate friends will go up to his bedside and wake him up. And they've been sleeping all night, dreaming about cow herding, waking at about six, and just dying to get out the door and meet with Krishna and head into the forest. When they hear that buffalo horn of of Balaram, then the day's really begun for them. On this day, as I say, however, it was a little different. Krishna woke up with some special inspiration to leave early in the morning and have a picnic lunch. In other words, normally they take a rather large brunch in the morning at home. But he wanted to skip that and have a packed lunch and go out into the forest early. So he rose even before Balarama. In this little we'll find out, we'll see how Krishna is both omniscient and bewildered at the same time. So his special inspiration to go out has something to do with his omniscience. He knows that comes after him, and he's finding it somewhat enjoyable to defeat the various demons and increase his his, uh, prowess as a hero amongst his cowherds who very much like this uh, vila this uh, fighting and chivalry and so forth, and sportive mood. So, anyway, early he rose, and he blew his, bugled his buffalo horn in the courtyard and started moving down the road even. And so this is a little early. Everyone heard, and uh, they s- assembled in the millions, un- unlimited. Asankhya, Bhagavatam says. Uncountable numbers of cowherd boys as- assembled with their s- staffs and their flutes and their buffalo horns and and so forth, decorated at home in the morning their parents are decorating them very carefully and they're agitated to, to get out and, and go. When they go into the forest, they'll decorate themselves further. Millions of them, unlimited numbers assembled. Again, this point comes up. We've, we've addressed this a couple of times. Vishnama Chakraviti Thakur says in his commentary, one might wonder how in the area of Brindaban. A geographical area which is a certain size, how unlimited numbers of cow herds and their calves could all assemble in such an area? There wouldn't be enough room. I remember one of Prabhupada's disciples once reading the Krishna book, it was mentioned that Nandamarsh had 900,000 cows. And so he made a, a, a calculation. I think the circumference of Vrindavan is maybe 32 square miles or some kilometers or something like that anyway he took this whole area and he measured it out and calculated and then he calculated nine hundred thousand cows and he came to the conclusion they wouldn't fit in there so he told Prabhupada it's not possible and Prabhupada said you you think too much that's how he replied you think too much Vishwanath addresses it and he says how can one may wonder how so many cows calves and cowards can fit in such a, a small area and he says, basically, you shouldn't think like that. Same thing. He said, this is all that possible by the inconceivable Shakti of God. So while it's measured to be a certain distance, that's only for within the in the context of the leela. The lila puts a finite appearance on things that are actually unlimited for the sake of facilitating itself. But actually, it's 32 or whatever it is, 64. I forget um kilometers unlimited kilometers each one of them is unlimited one time I was with Prabhupada and, Vrindavan, and we'd go on Parikram and to go to Barsana you had to take a bus to go to Govardhan you had to take a bus and uh, a lot of these places of Lila are, are a good distance from one another so someone, one of my godbrothers asked, Prabhupada how is it possible that Krishna is you know, Radhakund in the midday and then by nightfall he's back here and he's walking everywhere and, you know, he was pointing out these different distances and see how there seemed to be some inconsistency. We have to take a bus, it takes a while to go there and so forth. How can he be walking all this? Time? So, how did Prabhupada reply? He said, Oh, he said, Vrindavan is like a lotus and all the different petals on a lotus are the different places of Krishna's pastimes like this. And when Krishna wants to go from one petal to the other, the lotus folds up like this. And then it opens again. So this is the transcendental logic. You have to be a little disposed towards this. And accept the Atintishak, the inconceivable potency of God, for whom nothing is impossible, whose realm is full of such wonderful activities that don't don't measure up to our limited experience don't fit within our frame of reference which is the whole problem Vishwanath says Asankya means one with seventeen zeros after it when reading that some time ago I tried to put it in the calculator and it, it didn't work so I think that's what he meant, beyond calculation so that many cowherds he had friends and that many calves and Krishna announced to them that today we will leave early and we'll have a picnic lunch. So all of you, my principal cowards, get your servants. They all have assistants. And pack up a lunch, put on the end of the bamboo stick, and and we'll head off into the forest. And, of course, he said, and Mother Yashoda will also be sending some things along. I had to go through quite an endeavor this morning to persuade her to allow me to uh, to pursue this undertaking. Because she would want him to stay home and, make, and cook and watch that he eats and make sure that he, he's tasted something of everything for the, for the sake of those who have cooked as well as for his his own well-being. you know, that For the mother to cook for the son, this is a big thing. And, uh, and to arrange for the cooking as she does. So he had to persuade her, but he got her permission and she said that she would also send some things along. Meanwhile, they packed their lunches and reassembled and Balaram was absent in all of this. It was, it was in his own estimation, an unfortunate, uh, circumstance, uh, that being his birthday, which was prohibiting him from going out into the forest, having to, as the social circumstances mandate, stay home and, and be greeted by the relatives and so forth. He sent a message to Krishna and said, oh, my uncle is here and he's come from a long distance and he's sitting here like a non-moving living entity in the house just humped on the couch or whatever and I've got to sit here all day and you know pretend I'm interested and and here you've got this some special inspiration in your heart so I can understand of all days in the forest this one's going to be really really special and of course it it was Balaram didn't find out what really happened on that day for over a year. <laughs> so anyway, he sent a message, but don't let my misfortune get in the way of your pursuing your inspiration. He said that if any obstacles come in the beginning of, a, of an auspicious journey, they should only serve to, as further negative impetus to pursue that. So don't let my my circumstances hold you back. Go for it, he said. And they did. Into the forest they went. And Krishna blew his fruit. His other friends blew the flutes, and they blew the, the buffalo horns, and the cows, wooo, All the calves are mooing and mooing, and the buffalo horns are blowing, and, and the flutes are blowing, and then the boys start calling, A and ca- talking to the calves, and they're getting ready to assemble. This was, this is the ultimate live 108 concert, hmm, for, the, for the benefit of, <laughs> of the poor people of the world we can attend this concert, show up for this event, uh, we would have, we will have gone to the ultimate concert experience—to hear those flutes, to hear those buffalo horns be willing, and the cows mooing, and Krishna's preparing to enter into the forest—and this, on a special occasion for that matter, a little earlier than otherwise. And this particular leela, and this concert. I've kind of drawn a parallel, of course, to the recent concert for the poor people in Africa. It does have something to do with the poor people and, uh, and what, what, uh, Agasur, whom they would meet, personifies. As Lila seeks to bring out what is the, the compassionate nature of, of the Vaishnav. So at any rate, in the midst of this concert, then cows, calves stamping their hooves, they went off into the, into the forest and although they had packed their lunches and so they got absorbed in so many sporting type of activities that like young boys will do some boys would uh, imitate the sounds of different animals like how do you do that (laughs)
1: like that
0: (laughs) making the instruments out of their hands and out of rolled up leaves and so forth and so some would do concerts and of their own in in, in staged events and others who weren't as expert in music and arts they'd say anyway the real prowess of the cowards is speed and then they would race like this and put their arms out and follow the shadows of birds and pretend they were flying and and follow the frogs and leap into the pools created by the waterfalls and so forth in this way they were showing off their sportiveness and, and, and Krishna would then go at a distance leave them with the calves and examine different parts of the forest, and then they would all run after him to catch him, and then and then, whoever, then they would get close and touch him and say, Who t- I touched him first. No, I touched him first. In this way, they were just the personification of innocence and happy with their calves and so forth, and they came across a certain section in the brudge, and there they saw this huge uh, something, and they couldn't quite make out what it was, and a, d- a debate amongst the learned young men began t- ensued. Hmm? Some said, looks like a snake. Another said, snake? Man, no snakes like that. It's eight miles long. Everybody knows can't have an eight-mile-long snake. <laughs> so again, it, your doubts about this are not disqualifications for entering the, the Leela. Even the cowherds thought, there's, not, there's no such thing as an eight-mile snake. That's how long he looked. And his mouth open very big. They thought maybe you know this is just like a model, model of this of a snake. Maybe it's a real snake. And then that they thought his his teeth looked like mountain peaks, and his open mouth like a cave, and his tongue like a like a road that wove inside into the darkness. And you know what young boy doesn't want to explore a cave in the forest? So. They were interested in going in, but Krishna is standing there, and he, his omniscience came to the forefront, and he could understand. This fellow has been sent by Kamsa. This is why I went out early to catch this fellow. And here he is. My friends don't realize that. That some of them don't realize that he's a snake. Those who realize that he's a snake don't realize that he's Aga, Agasura, the personification of Aga means sin. Personification of sin itself. And he has a very evil idea in mind. And so it's not going to be good for them to, to enter inside. These are the thoughts that are going through his mind. Aga's intention was worse than any of the demons we've discussed thus far. Putina wanted to kill Krishna. Shakatasur tried to kill Krishna. Trinivata tried to kill Krishna. Bakasur. Vatsasur. But their attention was focused on, on that alone, killing Krishna. Like doing the work, killing the one one person, and, and going away. But Arjuna had he he has a, had a different idea. He wanted to kill Krishna. He wanted to kill all of his friends and all of the calves, and by that, for all intents and purposes, kill the whole of the take the life out of the Brajbhasis. Very cruel-minded. Bhakti Thakur has described him as as the personification of of uh, cruelty. The antithesis of jivadaya, kindness to other living beings. The absence of kindness in one to other living beings, which he says is intertwined with, inseparable from Krishna consciousness. Jivadaya Krishna nam sarva dharmasar. This is the essence of Dharma. Taking Krishna nam and engaging in jivadaya kindness to other living entities he says that they're substantially coming from the same place love of krishna and kindness to to all living beings so this agasur personifies this absence of this cruelty to others he saw these boys happily innocently frolicking and and so much absorbed in their sport and happy that they had forgotten to eat it was lunchtime actually this is why, again, all these demons are allowed into the brudge. They couldn't come just with the idea to kill Krishna. Lila Shakti or Yogamaya has to allow them in for a purpose of their own, of her own, in the context of fulfilling Krishna's desires and those of his associates. So, so she allowed him to come in so that their sportiveness could be interrupted and it came as kind of a big lunch bell if you will it's time for lunch take a break hmm? stop and so they had hung their lunches on the trees and they they had brought on their sticks and they were absorbed in their pastimes and so forth looking out over them she arranged like this like a lunch alarm like we ring the bell at Audaria, lunchtime stop otherwise the devotees certainly wouldn't come they're so happy there and absorbed <laughs> what they're doing. So at any rate, boys wanted to go in and Krishna didn't want them to go in. They went in. He didn't voice it, but he was thinking about it, going through these thoughts, and, 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 and they went in. So may my question, Krishna is said to be such a sankalpa, so any of his, all of his desires are fulfilled. So if he didn't want them to go in, how could they go in? Does it mean his desires are not fulfilled? This is a philosophical question. And the answer is that the devotees had the desire to go in. He had the desire for them not to go in. He wanted to protect them. They wanted to go in and be rescued by him if need be. So their desire won out because his nature is that he's controlled, conquered by the, by the love and the desires of his devotees. So in they went. They ran inside and all the calves with their tail sticking up Surrounding them like their effulgence. All oh, so many calves ran inside. <laughs> and Agastya just kept his mouth wide open waiting for Krishna to come in as well. And Krishna thought this has now become a real problem because I've got to kill him. It's like hostages. Okay. Agastya <laughs> has taken thousands of hostages, He's holding them inside the dungeon of his, of his, of his belly. And he's a python, so you know, the, the pythons—the way they eat is they—they they contract, I guess, and crunch their meal. And so, how to kill the enemy and uh, free the hostages became a complicated problem. So he had he <laughs> had to take a minute to think about that, contemplate what to do. And again, he's moving between his omniscience and, and and his affection for his devotees both sides, so at any rate he went in, and all the de- the demons who were invisibly watching they all said we've got him they, they were tearing, and the demigods who were watching this uh, drama as well they, they all moaned, "Oh no, he's gone inside, but Krishna was able to employ one of his tactics that he really wasn't able to employ previously in the killing of the earlier demons, especially Putana, and Shakatasur, and Trinavarta, because in those leelas he was uh, very much a child, three months, one year old, and he needed to kill the demons, but he was in the presence of his parents, but preserved their sense of his being their child. But now he, he is starting to get a feel for being on his own, so to speak. And he killed Vatsasur, Bakasur, and this is the real end of his Leela, starting to enter into, almost enter into boyhood. So he exercised some power that, that uh, he wouldn't have otherwise, that the boys won't, they won't compromise their sentiments for him. So ex- he did it by expanding himself. As I say, the python contracts, and so he expanded himself. And by expanding himself he plugged up all the holes, like the nostrils, the mouth, and where the, there was no out for this agasur. So as Krishna expanded, finally this agasur seeking a way to get out, to escape, burst out through the top of the head like the yogi will. So Krishna turned him into a perfect yogi. His soul was like hovering in the sky. Normally you can't see the soul, but Krishna arranged for some kind of light to be glittering and dazzling and whoever, all the demigods are watching. It had nowhere to go because the liberated soul has to go to Krishna, but Krishna was inside that body, so he had to wait for Krishna to come out. Well, Krishna opened his body like this, came out, brought all the cowherds and calves back to consciousness by giving a glance of benediction over them. And they all came out, and then that soul merged into the body of Krishna. And this news spread throughout the whole universe. What an extraordinary thing. Aga was the personification of sin. Aga means sin. And as Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, as I mentioned, he represents cruelty to other living beings. And the idea is that Krishna is coming to, to bring an end to that. In the name of becoming Krishna conscious, if we become hard-hearted towards other people, then there is some problem in our progress. Because these things go hand in hand. Real compassion, no doubt, is compassion for the soul. So real jivadaya, real kindness to other living beings, is to... It's to minister to their soul and give them the opportunity to, to engage in Krishna consciousness. But the shadow of real compassion is compassion for the, their material condition as well. And so we have to pass through the shadow to come into the real full, full light of compassion. I've given the example before that one of my godbrothers in Calcutta was standing on the roof of the temple and there were some beggars down below and you know, one of them had his hand cut off, and they were begging. And Prabhupada was standing there, and he said to Prabhupada, "Prabhupada, you know, sometimes I feel like you know, sorry for these people, you know, compassion for them." He thought it was Maya. He was admitting, you know, sometimes I'm in Maya, Prabhupada. And I know it's just their t- bad karma, and 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 they deserve it and everything. And it, it's it's I shouldn't be sentimental, but sometimes I feel like that. And what did Prabhupada reply? He said, only sometimes. Sometimes I saw a Prabhupada in the car. When, it, when you stop an Indy in the car, and the stoplight, then beggars will come out and knock on your window and so forth. He would reach in and give them some rupees. And some of the devotees would think, if you help any people in any way, you're implicated in karma and so forth. But if you do from a rational perspective, do kind, kind, kind acts to people when occasion arises and so forth, it's good for them to receive something from the hand of a devotee Whose heart has become softened by the love of Krishna to the point that it overflows and extends when opportunity arises to to the plight of people, um, materially speaking. It's not uh, that we, let uh, I say, can become hard-hearted towards everyone. If we do, in, in the name of Krishna consciousness, as we've seen sometimes, then there's some problems. So jvai and taking the name of Krishna, these things go hand in hand. Therefore, although in a, in a very basic sense, we we, do, we don't kill cows, we're vegetarians, this is ahimsa, this is nonviolence, this is kindness to innocent creatures. It's not sufficient to say, to just be a vegetarian and then call all the other people eating demons and, and abuse them in some way. It It doesn't follow, even though they may be themselves... Mean often that's just a product of their own ignorance and and so forth. By showing kindness to them, that they the kind of kindness that a Vaishnav should be possessed of that they wouldn't imagine, then that should move them. So this should be cultured. All of you should be examples of this kindness to other living beings. Prabhupada's idea was something like that: that devotees should be such that when they practice and they go into the world and people meet them and they talk to them. Those people want to come home with them. they never met anybody so kind hearted and generous and so forth. Invite them home, make dinner for them. This <laughs> was his idea. Get them to stay in a few days, and then uh, they'll they also become devotees. This is his idea. How can they not? So, what was his idea, therefore, of devotee? How kind hearted he was, compassionate he was to do what he did. And then many things he did was, you know, were things that he didn't have to do per se. I mean, he came to preach. I mean, he didn't have to wash our clothes for us or cook for us. He could have just talked about the highest Leelas and so forth. and said, so this is what Krishna consciousness is about. I like to say about him that the greatness of a person is that while preoccupied on something higher, they talk nonetheless on a level that's pertinent to our, our progress. And he very much uh, exemplified that unless we could benefit from it. So, this is a big Leela. The Agasura Leela begins in the 12th chapter of the 10th canon of Bhagavatam. It really extends over over two more chapters involving the Brahma of the bewilderment of Brahma and so forth, and Brahma's prayers. Much to be learned there. But this is the story of Agasura. Any question?
1: I'm, I'm thinking about this kindness. Mm-hmm. It can be hard sometimes.
0: Hard to be kind to others.
1: Yeah, especially if they're not kind themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that makes it harder. The idea is to be kind to innocent people. But if people show you unkindness, then you can avoid them. We should avoid also being overly sentimental and just a bleeding heart. And and somebody's really, you know, offends your guru, and say, well, you know, he, he didn't really, you know. We can look at it another way, you know, he's not so bad. And at some point, where are just, yeah, enough is enough, and and, um, and that's a sign of love, too, and compassion. Sometimes love and compassion expresses itself in ways that don't appear to be such. As, uh, Vrindavan Das Thakur is famous for this, and, and Prabhupada very much showed the same spirit as well. In Chaitanya Bhagavat, Vrindavan Das Thakur says, and if people don't take advantage of Lord Chaitanya's mercy, Nityananda Prabhu's mercy, they resist it, they fight with me on this, then I step on their head with shoes, something like that. So Bhakti Siddhartha was once asked, Well, you know, how does this work with like kindness to other living beings and humbler than a blade of grass and so forth? He said, Well this is a very special expression that when a devotee gets frustrated like that with someone, and speaks like that, then that immediately draws Krishna's attention to that person. Oh, my devotee said that to you. Oh, don't think ill of him. It, it brings Krishna's attention to in a way that Krishna wouldn't bring it give, give attention to them otherwise. So, Papa used to say that. Then I step on their head with shoes if they say that. Science, you know. He used to talk about that on his morning walk. Sometimes he expressed that. This is very much the spirit of a, like, somebody asked me about this once, and the Prabhupada said, and so if they won't take the book, then we we'll take when we take over, if they don't chant Hare Krishna, we'll drop the bomb on them. Someone wrote to me and said, well, you know, this doesn't sound like a real guru, you know, compassionate, drop the bomb. I said, you have to understand what the the real guru is, what world he lives in. And from what vantage point he's saying these things and so forth, you know, I said he's a, he's a cowherd, You know, they talk like this, big, exaggerated, uh, uh, threatening one another and and so forth, like like young boys. He spoke it in the spirit of a young boy. Then we'll drop the bomb on them. They won't take to Krishna. Let's get them. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is this is Yudavira. It's, it's a it's a prominent sentiment amongst the cowards. Fighting with one another, challenging and so forth and competing and, and so on. But uh, if you hear a young boy speak like that, you don't take it seriously. Of course, these days he you might hear, watching too many movies and he might shoot people in school as possible. <laughs> but, uh, that's an unfortunate <laughs> development in, uh, at least in, in America that takes place uh, these days. But. Ordinarily, if a young boy boasts about something like that, then you don't take it seriously, you know, amongst themselves, they're just playing. I told him this spirit, properly speaking. He's, he's gone into, the devotees are talking about spreading Krishna consciousness, and there will be opposition, and suddenly he goes into this kind of bhava, and, uh, and, and thinks, then we'll drop the bomb on them. Then. And, we'll make them chant Hare Krishna. We'll tie them up and make them chant, then. have to love Krishna. Mm-hmm. This is it. You know, then if you talk to him time, obviously if you knew him he would never <laughs> do anything like that or recommend anything like that or, but some of his students were pretty fanatical so then they'd go yeah, yeah we can drop the bomb on those people so <laughs> kill them all they're demons and, no, 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 no no. he missed the point so there's some place also for being uh, frustrated with people and Prabhupada would, would, would express that if you don't if you, if you love someone and then that that another person doesn't love that person, then another side of love is to show itself in that way, then I don't like that person. I don't want anything to do with them. It's a real real love. You see, love of Krishna is, is a full face of love. It's not the in-between face of love, where love, hate the sin, not the sinner. You might hate the sinner too. Hate can be an expression of, I hate that guy. He doesn't like Krishna. I hate him. It's a, it's a side of love. In other words, if you really love somebody, then that side comes up in relation to people that don't love your friend or who are mean to your friend and so forth. Not that you're going to play that out and go and do something about it necessarily, but that feeling comes. It's part of love. It's not. Whereas the short of the full face of love is kind of, um, you know, you just turn the other cheek constantly and that, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's more of a reverential love of God and equally seeing everyone, and so when we go into a bias for Krishna, and a particular kind of stai-bhava, a tic- particular kind of love and so consumed by that, it's the full face of being a, a friendly love, it's the full face of, of romantic love. Really, everything about that. That's why Radha can show mood of jealousy and so forth, and how can she be jealous? How can Krishna be, be, be jealous of her? These things, it doesn't sound like spiritual love. It sounds like mundane love, which is adulterated. But no, it's not adulterated because it's properly centered. And the full expression, every nuance of love in all these different prominent relationships is fully expressed in Krishna consciousness. You follow? Understand the difference? So we don't want to become too sappy, in a sense. have have a little bit of a I'm for this kind of uh, spirit. When we see that, then they think, yes, uh, he has some love actually. I cannot tolerate that. Someone is the enemy of our of our God or our, our Guru or something. I won't go there then. I won't be in their presence. What else? Yes.
1: More about Jiva Doya. You I was once asked about organ donation after 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 death hmm. they, you have these cards you can fill in and and I think I remember you writing about that in one sangha saying that it's, it's implicating yourself in other people's karma or something like that
0: well I wouldn't go so far as to donate my organs I don't think to to, to someone first of all if you're the devotee's body should be preserved and there should be a proper funeral rites and and so forth, rites of of passage and and so on. And, and I think that some of that is maybe done away with in, in the idea that you know let, give this part of my body there and that part of my body there and and so forth. And of course, we also live in a world view where just preserving the bodies of others is not the be all and end all of everything. We, you know, we live in a worldview where death is certain, and therefore we are a little bit we, we, we're not pushed to any limit to save people and and do things that become questionable morally. Then you get into issues like stem cell research and, and so forth and so on. I, I never thought too deeply about it, but it's kind of along the same lines. And I'll say you give your organ to somebody, and then what do they do with it? You might want to be concerned with that, too. You give your liver to somebody, and then that person goes and kills cows and... Uh, I wouldn't want to be involved in that, so I would rather keep my organs. And, but in the same time, use my body fully for the benefit of others in a comprehensive sense by living uh, an example of Krishna consciousness and and providing Krishna conscious insight for others. So I think that if a devotee fully gives himself or herself body and Krishna consciousness, that they've given their organs, they've shed their blood for everyone on a on a level that. Will never implicate them in what other people may do, and will help people to come to become free from the implica- karmic implications that they themselves suffer from. Maybe we should write an article about that. It's an interesting topic. Another question?
1: Yes. How about a person who hasn't like perfected his or her sadhakadeha and he's going to be cremated or something like that?
0: Yeah, and then your ashes should be put in the in the Ganges or the Jamuna, or something like that.
1: But you shouldn't take organs before cremation?
0: Or? No. Again, how will they be used?
1: But how about giving money to the poor? But they can also use it for moose or something.
0: Well, we don't give money to the poor. We we don't go out and raise money to give money to the poor. Right we accept money given to us for the propagation of Krishna consciousness and we use that for books and temples and so forth and so on. But there are occasions when, and we're fully absorbed in that, uh, at least as as monastics, so in your situation, but there's opportunities arise when there's an overflow of that. Like Prabhupada did, a beggar comes to your window and so, you know, you give him a rupee. Yeah, and they may they may abuse, but it's rather kind of kind of a small thing, and and certainly in the case of of, of Prabhupada, and it would be in the case of any Vaishnava, an act of an act of compassion and and their acceptance of a gift from a Vaishnava that's in their interest. It's a little different than giving your liver or your kidney or something like that, so they can go, live on for years. And of course they would appreciate, but I don't even know if they know who it comes from or or not it seems a bit of a, a bit of a stretch I feel uncomfortable with it and yeah, you may not you may pass away and not be a perfect Vaishnav but I suppose you could consider within the realm of Vaishnavism to share your your organs but I, I wouldn't otherwise yes but do you also feel then that, that we shouldn't accept organs like if see in <laughs> the situation where all leader was now that you can do if, uh, that's possible but how you'll how you use their liver, that's different than how they will use yours. Just maybe
1: from a material perspective it feels kind of ungrateful to be ready to accept others' organs but not to give to others. I mean like because I've been in a situation where I was being operated and if something would have happened they would have given me a blood transfusion. Someone has given the blood so it could feel like that I should somehow um, repay that by also being ready to donate my blood or like my kidney that you can do without
0: dying. Mm -hmm. Then you leave it to individuals to decide how they feel occasion won 't arise for most people. I suppose anyone could you could enlist it if you feel strongly about it, but people aren 't going around soliciting too much so if the occasion arises in circumstances, each circumstance is going to be unique and and so forth. Your situation is unique you feel it you 've benefited till you feel that way I'm going to leave it as an individual decision i can 't say to you that it 's definitively right, definitively wrong. I express my own personal preference. Another question? Yes.
1: Something it might be a bit too, like, big subject, but I, I've never really understood the cons- concept of yoga maya. Uh-huh. Like, what, what is it exactly? Is there some kind of correlation to material maya?
0: Yeah, we call Yoga Maya, Mahamaya. So Mahamaya is like a particular expression of Yoga Maya, like a shadow of Yoga Maya. Mm-hmm. Like probably would it give the example of electricity: it can heat or it can cool. So Mahamaya is, in effect, kind of arranging the scenery in material existence. Mm-hmm. We're under that influence: the magic of of Krishna's illusory energy, Vishnu Maya. So in the spiritual world, there's kind of a in the ultimate attainment in transcendence, then there's a a kind of a magic also that's required in order for intimacy with the Absolute to, to be possible. In other words, if we're going to be, as I said many times, if we're going to be close to God, the fact that he's God or the Infinite, that has to be covered over. Otherwise, you can't get close. So that's the work of Yogamaya in a sense. So she facilitates, it's a Shakti, of course, that facilitates his pastimes, follows him like a shadow and, and anticipates his desire and then facilitates the desire. So another name for Yogamaya is like Lila Shakti, the, the Shakti that kind of coordinates the Lila, like like the stage director that closed the curtain and changed the scene, open it up, but it's another scene. So she's always in the, in the background, arranging, facilitating the pastimes of Krishna. And she's often in Rajalila depicted as Purnamasi, older lady, matted locks, lives on the bank of the Jamuna, knows astrology and kind of a kind of a sorceress of a little bit tantric, kind of. Vrindadevi. Vrindagopi. Also, so, like an expansion, sometimes called Lila Shakti. So, these, she's arranging so many, under Purnamasi, so many pastimes. This is the idea. Does that
1: help? Yeah. Yes. Purmaraj, you've speaking about how we shouldn't try to, to prove the Krishna Lila on an archaeological
0: or... i say it'd be difficult, but... Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: but so- sometimes you, you you get into these situations where there's kind of like a... These things are coming together, like for example in in Vrindavan people will show you that this is this is the body of Aghasura made into a stone and it begins here and then it comes the same thing comes up mm-hmm. ten miles in that direction and, and this this hole here is where Krishna touched the stone with this stick and, mm-hmm. and things like this. So how 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 seriously should we take take these? Those things? Yeah.
0: Well, I think that um, what happens in these instances some of these things are, of course are made up for sacred donations. But um, not not always by any means. And the Goswamis they are said to have envisioned the places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan, like Bhakti We envisioned the places of Mahabharu's pastimes and so forth. And so um what happens is, and it may happen to other devotees to some extent as well, in effect they, like you have self-manifested deities, and you can look at it and go, hmm, I guess. That's The of Days. It's a stone. And, and So some devotee's bhava has been projected onto that item. So it's taken on that reality based on his projection of his own own bhava. And similarly with these places, he sees it like this is the footprint of Krishna in his bhāva, and so then other devotees accepting, and that's because his Baba is ultimately reality. It's more real than, than anything else, so it's accepted as such. So the Goswamis, they, they, they projected their bhāva onto certain places, and this became then that place and so forth. I mean, it gets a, you know, it depends then how much you're in, in that you can really appreciate it when you go to a lake and it's, it's kind of yellow and so this is yellow because 5,000 years ago, Radharani right washed the turmeric off her hands here that mother he sort of put on her hands when, when she learned she was going to be her, her daughter-in-law. although well, there was a problem and that didn't happen and so forth. And that's why the lake is yellow and, you know, and then you go to the next place. <laughs> and so, however much you're in Bava, you may be able to appreciate Appreciate that. How much not? You may kind of think, well, know if, uh, five thousand years of turmeric staying in the lake <laughs> is a pretty long, long time. So, uh, but we never want to dismiss anything in the dom. And although again, there is the problem of people making up spots and then bilking pilgrim, pilgrims for coming there. And, and uh giving money to the spot that's not really has nothing to do with krishna but then, then again the whole of vrindavan is is sacred and special and so forth and so there is no loss on your part in one sense if someone else abuses some way that's their problem but so overall i would say you take all the places of krishna's pastimes as seriously and pray there and and, and so forth and and even if you can't see everything, or if there's a way of seeing it, kind of materially, you kind of push that out of out of your mind, and try to enter into the spirit of the, the bhava that caused devotees to to mark that place. Catch their uh, ride on the wave of of their ecstasy. All right, we'll stop there.